Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. A six-month strike by bakery workers finally comes to an end. Another look at those union density statistics. And today on the show, the Dayton, Ohio building trades and our independent labor voice, Tom Buffenbarger. Welcome to the Tuesday, January 24th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. Our first guest, Grady Mullins. Grady, Executive Secretary of the Dayton Building Trades Council. He's also a member of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. That would be Local 82. And he's been a member for 42 years. Served as an organizer for that local for 17 years. He's also on the Dayton-Miami Valley AFL-CIO executive board and sits on the Ohio State Building Trades Council executive committee. We'll talk about workforce recruitment, the work outlook for various unions. And uh, from what I'm gathering here, they've got a lot of work at the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Also, Honda, project labor agreement work on two plants. And this is the uh, battery plant. That's tied in with the uh, Columbus Building Trades. I remember Dorsey Hager, who handles the uh, Columbus Central Ohio Building Trades, has been on that story. We'll talk about wage theft. Apparently, the city of Dayton has a wage theft ordinance, and that's really big. And uh, not just the uh, construction industry, but for all workers, wage theft. I mean, retail stores. I heard a couple of stories. This goes some years back where Walmart, pretty much said, well, we've got a lot of uh, a lot of stocking to do in the back room. So they took the employees, many of them young people, and more or less locked them up in the back. I mean, they had a chance to get out of there, but there were supervisors saying, you got to get the work done or else you don't go home. And they uh, <laughs> they didn't get their full wages. That's wage theft. That's wage theft. So uh, Grady Mullins will be our first guest. Our second guest on the show today is Tom Buffenbarger, retired general president of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. And uh, Tom is going to talk about two things, the debacle that happened at Southwest Airlines. He's very proficient in the airline industry because many of the machinists work in the airlines for maintenance. So we'll talk about that and we'll talk about the, the rail situation It's Tom's understanding that the railroads have resorted to mandatory 12-hour days, seven days a week for their employees, rather than hire more. Now, now keep in mind, the big issue in the talks last year was the fact that they had so many workers that left. A lot of that had to do with the pandemic. There were about 40 to 45,000 workers that either retired or fired or just left on their own in the last three, four years. And the industry collectively hired only about 4,500. So that's why 
they're working 12-hour shifts, seven days a week. Uh, Bernie Sanders, by the way, who's next in line to chair the powerful Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions, better known as the HELP Committee, has not given up on that struggle to secure sick leave for railway workers. Now, according to Bloomberg News, Senator Sanders is quietly planning to introduce legislation in the coming months that would require rail carriers to provide their workers with paid sick leave, which they were denied by the collective bargaining agreement brokered with the assistance of the Biden administration. And that agreement, that's the one that was imposed on them by Congress last year. Now, in the uh, last uh, hours of negotiations on that, the House did pass legislation to give the rail workers seven days of paid sick leave, but it didn't make it through the Senate. And that's probably going to be the issue again, because there's just not enough people in the Senate that are on labor's side. So Tom Buffenbarger will be our second guest right here on America's Workforce. Now a brief look into the world of labor. This brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, offering fixed income, real estate, and equity investment options to clients nationwide. And they've been doing this since 1928. For more, boydwatterson.com. Well, on Saturday, more than 100 members of the Bakery, Confectionery, Tobacco Workers, and Grain Millers Union in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, voted to ratify a new four-year contract with Ingredian. That's a food products company. The bargaining committee reached a tentative agreement last week, and the members' ratification officially brings to an end a strike of almost six months. It began in August of last year. That's right. The union members went on strike to protect seniority rights and work hours, maintain benefits, and provide pay rates following company proposals to cut vacation, slash seniority rights, and compel 12-hour shifts without overtime pay. Let me repeat that. 12-hour shifts, mandatory, without overtime pay. Comment here from uh, Anthony Shelton. Anthony is the international president of the Bakers Union. He said, I'm proud of the tenacity of our striking members at Ingredian and commend the union negotiating committee for their rock-solid commitment to achieving a fair and just contract for the members. The members went out as one, stood strong as one, and will come back as one. Unbelievable. What some managers are doing today. Meanwhile, workers at Harper Collins Publishers remain on strike, which began on November 10th of last year and stretched beyond its 50th day. Earlier this month, the workers struck in part for higher wages and more diversity in the publishing industry. You know, last week, I believe it was on Friday, we talked about the new numbers from the Bureau of Labor Statistics on union density. They do this every year. They're really not all that accurate. It's kind of a snapshot, but there's a lot of things they did not consider, and I'm not going to get into all the details, but the bottom line is this. The United States had 14.2 million union members 
in 2022, which is 273,000 more than the year before. However, more people entered the labor force. And as a result, union density went down. It declined by 0.2% to 10.1%, which is the lowest ever since they've been uh, counting this. And um, you're getting mixed reactions. Liz Shuler, president of the AFL-CIO, said, hey, you know what? We're up against fierce anti-union management law firms. I mean, they spent tons of money. Amazon is spending, I think, uh, in just one warehouse, they were spending $3,200 a day. Millions on every year. Well, two independent but related articles published over the weekend it took a look at those numbers. The first was written by Luke Savage. Luke argued that if U.S. labor laws were not so biased toward bosses, 60 million workers would join a union tomorrow. Relying on the Economic Policy Institute's analysis of data published by the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the NLRB last week, the piece states that 60 million workers, 60 million or 48% of the entire non-union workforce desired to join a union last year but could not do so. Thus, ironically, as the share of workers represented by unions has declined over the last four decades, the percentage who express a desire for unionization has gone up during that same period. This mismatch between the percentage of employees who desire joining a union and those who actually attain it represents a total failure of the American labor law regime to facilitate unionization. The article points out this divergence is owed in significant part to employer friendly laws and regulations that make it very difficult to organize a workplace, even when a majority of workers might be in favor. Now, there was another article, this one written by Jonah Furman. Jonah writes for Labor Notes, and he said, building on the argument I just stated, how broken our labor law is. And as a result, unions must massively scale up new organizing to counter what he called the brute might of capital. Furman contends that despite high-profile union drives at Starbucks, Amazon, and elsewhere, the labor movement has continued to uniformly decline, with virtually every union, industry, and state suffering similar decreases in union membership, even in places where there was high density in the Midwest and New England. To counter this, Furman argues unions must take active steps to revitalize the, flag, the flagging labor movement, which means not only devoting significant resources to new organizing, but also to new fighting and new winning, starting with the once-in-generations alignment of the expiration of two of the biggest private sector contracts in the country this year. That would be UPS, and we've talked about this on the show a lot, they're working with the Teamsters, and that contract comes up this summer in July. And the three big automakers, GM, Ford, and Chrysler, and that would be through the UAW. So you got a U UPS and the automakers. Big deals, 
They'll definitely get a lot of media attention. But those are the areas we have to build on. And obviously change labor law, which is so darn difficult. All right, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with the Dayton, Ohio, building trades. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are Steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce Radio and Podcast. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go to Dayton, Ohio right now. Joining us on our live line, Grady Mullins. Grady is Executive Secretary of the Dayton Building Trades Council. Website, DaytonBuildingTrades.org. And we're talking about an organization that represents about 14 unions, pretty much in uh, southwestern Ohio. Grady Mullins, welcome to America's Workforce. How are we doing today, brother? I'm doing fine. Glad to be here. I was reading earlier that uh, you're now... um, Going into your 43rd year as a member of IBEW Local 82. That's a long time. you got to be thinking about retirement here soon. I'm sure that's that's on your yeah. mind. But 
Let's go back to when you joined that local. What uh, what made you go in that direction? Go ahead. Well, actually, I was already in the trade working non-union, and I had been with a com- contractor for about seven years. And, you know, it was one of the deals where we saw basically he was getting rich off of our labors. And so we... We formed a came to local eighty two IBW and asked to uh, you know represent us. Uh, we went through the whole NRB election, won the election, and of course we had to negotiate, which we ended up going out on a unfair labor practice strike because the contractor committed so many errors of uh, federal labor law that uh, you know we was out on strike. Uh, eventually, you know, we offered to go back to work, still got treated the same. So the campaign, you know, even though we won the election, it still there was no tool there to force that contractor to sit down and bargain faithfully. He could, you know, bring up one item and it would be a stalemate. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's where when I seen this PRO Act come up, I thought, boy, if we'd had that. Back in uh, 1980, when we did the election, maybe we could have turned that contractor into a good contractor. But at that time, we didn't, you know, the labor laws didn't really help us. And they still don't. I was just talking about our broken labor laws in this country. You know, if we had better labor laws, we'd have about 60 million people nationwide joining unions today. Can you believe that? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. You know, I always said if politicians had to run under the same rules to get a union that we do, they would be in bad shape getting yeah. elected. Yeah, yeah. It probably just, That probably would be a good thing for some politicians. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's very true. That's, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, I mean, the laws have been so – we haven't had real labor law change, you know, since the 50s in this country, and it's just so antiquated. The hoops that, you know, the unions and the, the working people have to jump through just to be represented is utterly ridiculous. So, Local 82, well, how many members today? Today, What are we looking at? They're, they're right at about 1,000 members in the local. Yeah. And they represent, you know, uh, inside electricians. Uh, they have uh, contracts through the building trades for the city of Dayton and Dayton Public Schools. Uh, several of the TV stations here in town, so uh, they're they're growing and uh, very progressive. And I see you were an organizer with them for uh, 17 years. How did that go for you when you were doing that? Well, I, I you know I, I like to think that we had a lot of good uh, uh, good effects, not only for our members by bringing in new members, but also driving the wages for the non-union workers up. You know, uh, I could show up on a job, and if the guy wasn't interested, I'd, I'd tell him, give him my business card, and I said, take it to your employer and tell him I was out, and I'm trying to recruit you. Get yourself a raise. And then if I went back and the guy said, hey, I got that raise, I said, well, see, see what the union did for you, and you don't even belong to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that just levels out the playing field. You know, if we can drive their wages up, they're still – skilled craftsmen then they should be paid like a skilled craftsman grady you made a good point a couple of minutes ago when you talked about that that non-union contractor who was making a lot of money and obviously uh keeping it to himself and you, you hear i'm sure you've heard this a lot oh we can't hire 
union because they're too costly. And when you take a look at the whole thing, first of all, it's not that far apart. And then when you're hiring somebody skilled like an IBEW member like yourself, you're getting the job done right the first time. You don't have to go back there and do it all over again. Is that That's is that message correct. getting out there? I'm just wondering. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know we've really promoted it strong when I was an organizer, and they still do the fact that, you know, it may cost you a little bit up in the front, but how many times do you want to do it? You know, and what does that bring out to the public or to your customer that you had to come back and redo it because you didn't do it right the first time? Yeah, it's really scary. It's a real salesman's job as far as, like you said, the the difference in the bids really isn't that much. The difference in the bids is going in the owner's pocket instead of the employee's. And that's been going on a long, long time. Oh, yeah. how are we looking in that area, pretty much southwestern Ohio? I, I understand there's a, there's a couple of uh, projects going on. Let's start off with this uh, Royal Canine Project. That one caught my attention. I guess, what is this, a pet food company? Yes, it's a new uh, dog food company moving into Brookville, Ohio. Uh, our contractors have uh, been working on that for quite a while. Of course, they're like everybody else, they've run into you know, supply chain issues with, you know, structural steel and stuff, not uh, being able to get it quick as they, they want to. I'm reading that this is uh, an investment of almost $400 million. Any breakdown on jobs for the uh, for the Dayton building trades? Uh, on that particular job? Yeah. Uh, right now, I think we're probably, I think the electricians are probably running about, you know, 15 to 20 man job. And like I said, it's been kind of held up on... Uh, uh, as far as material, especially structural, uh, the iron workers have been, you know, having to uh, kind of uh, move people around to keep people busy because that seems to be the biggest issue with quite a few of the jobs is getting the structural steel for these projects. Now, what about Honda here? Because I, I know that they got this battery plant. They're also expanding their manufacturing plant. I know We've talked a lot about this with Dorsey Hager. I'm sure you know Dorsey from the Columbus Central Ohio Building Trades. Uh, yes. are, is are you going to be helping? Because I know they need a lot of a lot of workers in Central Ohio. You got the Intel plant too. Is there going to be right. some uh, some of your members going over there? Yeah, that's probably uh, only about an hour away from Dayton. Uh, I'm sure we'll have quite a few of the contractors, uh, you know, running up the highway there, and our members. Uh, also included in that uh, PLA that uh, Columbus signed, uh, in that budget for that project, there's also two to three other projects that's in Honda plants that's in the Dayton Building Trades jurisdiction where it kind of ties into the new plant. So they'll be working in existing plants in Anna, Ohio, and East Liberty uh, also, and I think up at Indian Lake also. So we're going to definitely kind of be piggybacking off that PLA with our own at those localized plants. Yeah, we want to keep those PLAs coming. (laughs) Those are good. Those are definitely good. Um, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. I understand there's some work over there and also the the North American Strategic Intelligence Center, apparently a logistics center. What's the involvement there? Yeah, it's basic. It's... uh, Basically, it's the intelligence center for the 
uh, the Air Force is located in on Wright Patterson. Uh, they've been probably working on the existing building at least twice over the last 15 years, and now uh, they're going to build a. They're currently working on building an entirely new building to, you know, bring it up to today's technology standards. So again, more jobs for for the Dayton building yes. trades. Good, right. good, good, good. How are we doing with the, the various apprenticeship programs to make sure we have enough workers for, for all this work? And we didn't even touch on infrastructure, things like that. I mean, you know all the policies that have been coming out of Washington. Some of that's going to take effect. Some of it is taking effect in various parts, and some of it's going to take several years. How are we pre- preparing for the future here, Grady? Well, our uh, apprenticeship group that we have with the Dayton Building Trades, they set up uh, schedules with all the public schools and uh, private schools to bring in, you know, uh, basically, uh, you know, groups of tradespeople, uh, the apprenticeship directors, instructors. They set up programs to show these students what they can learn and what they they can earn as a tradesman in the unions. So we've been going through those. Uh, we've had uh, open houses. Uh, we have a program through our uh, uh, AFL, through the National Building Trades. Uh, it's, it's called the Better Choice Program. Uh, we're working with a partnering with our Montgomery County commissioners on that to where we're trying to get people of color, uh, minorities, men, women, who maybe don't quite make the criteria to get into the apprenticeship, but it's a bridge to get them their skills and uh, knowledge up to where they can apply for these programs. And when they go through this program, uh, it's a six-week program. There's like 10 classes they take, and what we're trying to do is get them to where they can apply for these apprenticeship programs. And they have to apply to at least three different programs once they've graduated. And we we encourage them, they will go through and see all the different crafts. They, they have to spend at least a half a day at each apprenticeship so that they can see what the craft actually does. And then they can make an educated choice of what they want to do for a career. Grady, how long has this been in uh, in effect? Uh, it's basically been going on for three years now. It's it's similar, very similar to uh, what Columbus has with their apprenticeship readiness program. Not quite the scale uh, that they have, but you know we we definitely want to grow it. Uh, we're uh, it's also similar to Toledo's MC3 program and Cleveland builds. Uh, also, what we're we're trying to do is we're working with the the minority groups here in town. Um, I work with a, a young woman named Claudia Cortez. She works for the Ohio Worker Center in Columbus, and she's the uh, uh, Hispanic outreach person here in Dayton. And she's been working with the Hispanic community to try to get, you know, the workers who are probably primarily the ones that, when we talk about wage theft and being taken advantage of by. Mm-hmm unscrupulous uh, businesses, employers, they're probably the ones that are, that see it the most. So we're trying to reach out to them to say, this is what, you know, your rights as a worker is, and this is what the trades can do for you. And uh, we're trying to build a bridge there to where they can, you know, 
first of all, learn English if they don't understand it. That way, if we do place them out on jobs, they can understand the instructions and they can understand what their rights are and how they've been taken advantage of by these employers. Yeah. There's a lot of people that don't even realize they're getting screwed. They really don't. Right. And, and so I'm, I'm glad that you're touching on it. Grady, this is a great conversation. Grady Mullins joining us on our live line today. He's executive secretary of the Dayton Building Trades Council, DaytonBuildingTrades.org. I want to talk about wage theft. I, I know you, you touched on that. Let's expand on that in the next segment. Later in the show, we'll check in with our independent labor voice. That would be Tom Buffenbarger. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. From the Golden Gate Bridge to the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the Sears Tower, and just about every building, bridge, and structure in between, our cities and towns wouldn't be the same without iron workers. With over 3,000 contractors employing more than 130,000 highly trained iron workers and 20,000 apprentices, the Iron Workers Union stands ready and able to shape the future of our skylines. Learn more at ironworkers.org. Ironworkers, the sky's the limit. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.com. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Now... Back to Ed Flash Ferrans with America's Workforce. And don't forget, we are available on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. We're getting more of them, so please keep them coming. All right, let's go back to our live line. Joining us from Dayton, Ohio today is Grady Mullins. Grady Longtime member, 43 years with the electrical workers. That would be IBW Local 82. And uh, he also serves as executive secretary of the Dayton Building Trades Council. 
DaytonBuildingTrades.org is their uh, website. Grady, you're talking in the last segment about this uh, worker center, Ohio Worker Center, which uh, which is so important, especially now. You got a lot of jobs in construction, and this is, and I've heard Dorsey Hager say this so many times, it's a pathway to the middle class. Get into those communities where some fee- some folks feel, oh, my God, I'll never make a living. I'll never have a career. You get them that skill, and that skill is for life, and they could be making six figures. In some cases, especially on that Intel plant, I'm hearing some folks will be making $150,000 a year. That's a nice chunk of change. So this uh, three-year plan that you ex- which, uh, that you talked about, uh, it's bearing results then. In your opinion, you, you feel pretty pretty good about it moving forward then? Yes. I, I'm, we've had, like I said, several uh, cohorts go through it as far as the classes. And, uh, you know, we're seeing people that we probably wouldn't even see, like, just if you're just going by people who's applying for the apprenticeship because, one, they probably never heard of it. Two, they probably never realized that this was available to people. And so this this gets that word out more and it shows them this, you know, what you see necessarily out in society with, you know, the contractors here and contractors doing work there, that's not exactly how it is. You know, when you're represented by somebody, everything's going to be in black and white. You know, it's... uh, and what you're going to make is there, your benefits is there, and your training is there. And we can train anybody. If they want to learn, we can teach them. And that's what these people are realizing, that this opportunity is something that they didn't realize was there, but it's been here all along. Yeah. And, you know, that's the big thing is the education of, of the public, that these programs, these opportunities are out there for the people who want to come learn work hard and make a really good living grady let's take a few moments to talk about wage theft i understand the city of dayton has an ordinance to trying to get it passed and and this is a huge issue in, in all sectors of work all sectors and it's rampant in the construction industry especially in 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 non-union sectors uh What's the status of this ordinance? Do you have any details on it you can share? Uh, yeah, I've been in, staying in touch with the city commission, and we're hoping, you know, right now it's going through their law department. It's it's tailored almost similar to what Columbus has, so we think it, you know, it's already a proven uh, program as far as what Columbus has done. So we don't think we'll have any issues with it. And it's like you said, it that's a huge issue in the trades uh, you know, our contractors who pay decent wages, good benefits, it's, you can't compete with somebody that's 1099 in their employees. And uh, this will be huge as far as if we can stop this from going on in, in the construction trades in the Dayton area and, you know, really in all southwest Ohio and probably all across the country, this happens constantly, uh, you know, the IRS has a definite thing of who is an independent contractor. Uh, the DOL has, you know, guidelines on what is an independent contractor. The only thing is workers don't know that. The non-union workers who's being taken advantage of, they think this is how you do business. Well, it's not. 
you're not a not an independent contractor. He should be paying taxes for you. He should be paying Social Security, all the benefits and stuff. If you're not getting that, you're getting cheated, and it cheats yeah. everybody in the system. Yeah, it cheats the government too. That being said, I'm wondering. You got to educate the politicians on these issues. They, they probably think, "Oh no, this this doesn't happen," especially not to the scale that uh, many say it's happening. How is that going? Do they understand how big this issue is? Well, it's it's been an education process that we have to show them what's been going on, and and just like you said earlier. The amount of tax money that cities, counties, states are losing because people are 1099 and and not paying the taxes is is enormous. And you know that's not fair to your your taxpayer who does the right thing and pays his taxes, goes to work every day. It's not fair to the city. It's not fair to your school districts who and and your other support agencies who have to take care of people who don't have the insurance because the contractor's 1099 in them, don't pay for the schooling that they have to have, yet, you know, here here the, the poor taxpayer who's living by the law is taken advantage of. And it's, it, it's a bad situation. It's, it's something you wouldn't expect in this country in today's times. Yeah. Yeah, and like I said, it happens across all industries, and uh, workers are getting screwed, and again, they don't even realize they're getting screwed. And there's this attitude in America, and Grady, you know this, anti-tax, we hate taxes, got to lower taxes, but people don't understand it. Taxes support our police, supports our firefighters, supports our military, uh, sanitation. I mean, I could go a whole list of services that we get because of taxes and then if you, uh, you you want police right yeah we do if there's a fire happen you gotta have a firefighter people don't understand that connection that's the thing about it and uh that that's again we're talking about education here and that's part of what we exactly. do here on america's workforce you know well and you know it, it's just uh, it's like the politics you know nobody i don't know anybody that really likes it but, you know, and a lot of members say, oh, that, I don't want to get into that. But it's a fact of life that the politics affects everything you do. You know, I used to tell my apprentices when I worked with them, when you get out of bed, you're affected by politics. That mattress you got sleeping on, it's got a tag that the government says has to be on there. When you turn your light switch on, that's affected by politics. The road you drive on, the car you drive in. I said, so you're involved in politics whether you want to be or not. There you and, go. You know, we that's education. you got to educate people. Well said. Grady Mullins, Dayton Building Trades Council, Executive Secretary. He's had that position since uh, 2021 and a member of Local 82, the IBEW, going into 43 years. So when are you going to retire, brother? I mean, you've been you've been working your tail off here. Well, I did once, and then I came back to do this. Uh, it'll probably be here in the future, next within the next year or so. Uh, my wife's retired now, so now we can, uh, you know, enjoy what we worked hard for all those years with our uh, our retirements, you know, the union set me up pretty good to be able to maintain my standard of living. You know, uh, nobody wants to have to reduce their standard of living after they've worked, you know, 40-some years to build it. 
And that's what the unions do for everybody. You know, you exactly. have a good retirement, good benefits, and, you know, that's what we want to spread to all the working people. Nobody should have to sell everything they they got just so they can retire. You know, that's that's what we work for, to be comfortable when we, we can't work anymore. Well, you work toward that end, brother. And thanks for joining us here on America's Workforce. Anytime you want to come on the show, you let us know, okay? All right. I enjoyed it. All right. Grady Mullins. Dayton Building Trades Council, DaytonBuildingTrades.org. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, our independent labor voice, Tom Buffenbarger. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's CWAD4.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll-free at 1-800-443-3752. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWaterson.com. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And, of course, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to line number two right now. Welcome one of our longtime regulars. That would be Tom Buffenbarger, now our independent labor voice, former general president, of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. A couple things we're going to get into. Southwest Airlines, the debacle there. You've got some comments on the rail industry. But today, Tom's got a brother he wants to do a shout-out for who's recovering from a very, very serious operation 
in Cleveland, Ohio, at the world-renowned Cleveland Clinic. Tom Buffenbarger, welcome back to the show. What's going on here? What what happened to this? Oh, individual? I want to get a shout out to, to get well and get back at it to Lynn Tucker, who's the retired general vice president I was privileged to serve with in my tenure at the Machinist. He covered that whole eastern territory of the Machinist Union, and his office was in Cincinnati. Lynn retired to his home area of western New York and. Uh, He uh, developed a serious lung issue, and uh, the good folks at the Cleveland Clinic took good care of him, and we want to wish him well in his recovery there. Serious surgery, and uh, he's a good man. Well, there you go. I hope everything turns out for him. So uh, keep me posted, okay, brother? Will do. All right, Tom, let's talk about, uh, let's start with uh, Southwest Airlines. You and I talked about Southwest at the last month, and uh, that was just at the beginning of that debacle during the holidays. And there are so many people that, that actually miss Christmas. Some of them miss New Year's because of that mess. The other line, airlines weren't all that affected very much. Uh, what's the latest? What are you gathering on this, Tom? Uh, th- th- this is the glowing thing that comes out of the Southwest debacle. Uh, flash is that this airline, after years and years of the pilots, of the machinists, of the flight attendants, of the customer service agents telling them, you need to modernize our system, that if there's a, a meltdown someplace, it'll snowball. And they were poo pooed. The company would not invest. They reaped great profits, always made money, rewarded the executives well, but they starved the foundation of the airline. And boom, what happened? Christmas came, and it wasn't very happy or merry for thousands and thousands of customers because Southwest technology failed them. And now, guess what? They... They want to study what it's going to take in technology and customer support to uh, prevent this in the future. They need to listen to their employees who have been telling them what the shortcomings were. I, I am proud of the employees, all of them, because they're thinking about their own futures and their jobs and the future of the industry more than the people who make millions of dollars to manage it. And so that's what happened. It was it was a predictable catastrophe. And now maybe it's the wake-up call. I am certainly hoping so. It's a great airline with great employees, and they do the best they can. They do a great job for the flying public. And uh, it was an embarrassment. And I know it was, uh, it made for uh, catastrophe for people trying to get from point A to point B for the holidays. And it, it wasn't just a day or two. This thing lasted for a week to 10 days. And I still don't know if everybody finally caught up with their luggage or vice versa. Uh, it it was terrible. Again, it's rooted in not paying attention, not investing in the company. And I'm hoping 
they can make a complete management changeover and find the people who understand the value of investing in your enterprise because you got great employees. You need to listen to them, put some money behind the ideas, and hopefully we don't have storms next Christmas and Southwest will be well prepared to handle the the millions of people who travel for the holidays. Yeah, the pilots came out saying that Southwest was using technology to fly the planes that was made in the 90s, 30 years ago. I'm sorry. That's that's a recipe for disaster. Recipe for, for and we've seen it. We've seen it. All right, let's switch to uh, the rail, rail industry. And there's another one where we need a management overhaul. Maybe some new owners there because uh, we almost had a rail strike, and uh, but that was not allowed, and that's the federal law that we're dealing with. And we had some lawmakers that didn't want to uh, give any paid time off. Now I'm reading mandatory 12-hour days, seven days a week. Tom, what's going on here? A flash. They can't keep out of uh, the headlines here. Um, let's step back very quickly. The, one of the big issues that nobody was giving credence to, though the employees of the rail industry were telling them, uh, this man, no sick time, uh, you'll be penalized, you'll be fired, you'll be docked for if such as going to the doctor with COVID, things like that. And this became an issue in negotiations. It almost led. It was the big issue that we had to fix to avoid a strike. And then what happens is we get a contract. The industry starts to address some of these issues about uh, sick time and starting to come out with some rules maybe we can uh, live with a little better. But they replace that issue now with seven days a week, 12 hours a day, and maybe 16 hours a day, mandatory overtime because they still won't hire enough people to take care of the rolling stock, as it's known, on the railroads. So now the latest blurb is uh, tremendous outsourcing is going to take place. And uh, this is on top of the mandatory overtime. They say we still can't handle all the things we need to address and maintain and repair because we don't have enough employees. So they're going to subcontract it to places in Mexico, to non-union shops that do repairs on uh, uh, big electric motors and stuff, traction motors. Um, Flash, they have some sort of an allergic reaction to hiring back workers, and they need a lot of them. And if they would do that, the issues of covering during people being sick or people wanting time off, a lot of that diminishes the issue around it at least. But they can't seem to get away from the idea of we got to punish these workers somehow. So here's the latest iteration of how we're going to do it. It's winter. 
uh, when you spend 12 hours, uh, to think of the shops in the northern part of the country where there's big rail yards, like Minnesota and Montana, upstate New York even, uh, where they had the terrible snowstorms and stuff. It's hard to get to work, let alone spend 12 or 16 hours out there doing your job. And we need to start, if these are essential workers, and believe me, they are, then we need to start finding ways to recognize it and uh, help protect them. And the management of railroads just can't bring themselves to do that. Nope. No, they only care about profits. And if they would change work environment... Maybe they would get more applicants for those jobs. You I mean, right it. now, yeah, right now. I mean, they they sh- they shed about forty five thousand workers at last report, and this goes back to this is just before the pandemic. They only hired about ten percent back. So I mean, we're way down. We're way down. That's why they're working crazy shifts like that because they don't have enough employees to cover it. They oh, they need flash thousands of workers and they announced oh well we plan to hire over the next year maybe this is a month this is for the entire industry 500 workers <laughs> i i mean i i i just get so exasperated with it that what is it they can't see i know some great op- optometrists and ophthalmologists that these guys need to go visit who can help them see a little better. <laughs> yeah, we have a problem there. Yeah, it, the, who wants to work in the railroads? That's basically, I know the pay is good. I get that. They got a really good pay raise in that, but you know what? It's more than that. There's there's work-life balance, and in today's environment, that is so important. They need to know that. But anyway, we'll leave it on that note. You take care, my friend. Uh, stay clear from Washington. Crazy things going on in the house and everything. So we'll talk next month, okay, my brother? You got it, Flash. Uh, best to you and all your listeners. And listen, uh, we call this crazy town now. So um, <laughs> I, I am cautious when I walk out my front door. All right, Tommy Buffenbarger, our independent labor voice right here on America's Workforce. That's it for the show today. Tomorrow, the heat and frost insulators, and we'll check in with the iron workers in the state of Illinois. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.